Amen. Thanks, Ben and the team. It's great to be with you here tonight. Uh, my name's Nick Van Ruth. I'm the Young Adults Pastor at Allgate, uh, sorry, Allgate Baptist, Hills Baptist Allgate. Um, I wasn't around when it used to be called Allgate Baptist Church. So anyway, that's all right. First mistake off the off the bat. Um, I'm just going to talk for a bit and uh, I'll, I'm going to uh, put this out there. Uh, first person to comment where my accent's from gets a reward. So where do you think my accent is from? Uh, some people have thought it's from uh, um, Ireland. Some people thought that. Some people think it's America. It's actually Canada. So thumbs up to whoever commented Canada. And of course, uh, hopefully a lot of you already know because I do tend to mention it a lot. I get asked about it a lot. But yeah, there's something different about me. There's, there's something um, that makes me distinct uh, amongst the pastoral team that makes me a bit different to uh, the rest of the, the Hills community. Um, and that's my accent. Uh, as, a, as a child, I used to live in Canada for four years. When I was four to eight years old, I'm one of four kids, the only one who kept the accent. Uh, everyone else had it bullied out of them, and I was tough and stuck it out or stubborn. Uh, but yeah, so I've got an accent, and that tells you that, that I've, I've spent some time in Canada. That tells you that I've come from somewhere else. Now, in the 6 p.m. community, we've been working through the book of 1 Peter, which is a letter written to scattered Christians around uh, the, the Asia area in the time. So that's in modern-day Turkey, which is north of Israel, uh, west, of, um, west of Greece, of, of Rome. And uh, he's writing to scattered Christians in that area to get them to stand firm in the grace of God. He starts the letter by telling them, reminding them who they are and then what, what, what then they should do in response to that. Then he re- reminds them again, he kind of repeats himself. He reminds them again who they are, who they belong to. They are uh, living stones built on the, the great cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. And then, um, and then he tells them again what they should do. So as God's chosen people, his royal priesthood, living stones, he says in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Get this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. On the day he visits, uh, so the, I think this this verse is like the pivot of the whole book. He's been talking about uh, who they are and what they should do now, how they should live in amongst the pagans, in as they're scattered around that area, live such good lives that people that they, people would see their good deeds and bring glory to God. And so, just like my accent tells you that I've come from somewhere else, what the purpose of the Christian life is to live a life of good works that tell people that we belong somewhere else, that we belong to God. And so that's what uh, Peter's been working out. He, he, he kind of works that out in different areas of life. He talks about what that looks like uh, as citizens of a government. He, he talks about what that looks like um, as servants obeying masters. And then uh, in our passage tonight, in 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7, he talks about what that looks like for wives and for husbands. For wives and for husbands. And, um, and for some reason, uh, I keep getting all the relationship passages to preach on. Uh, for some, you know, a few weeks ago, I preached on Song of Songs, uh, Wisdom for Intimacy. Now I'm preaching 
on uh, wives and husbands. And I don't know, maybe Mark, <laughs> it's just coincidence, he says. Uh, I reckon it's because Mark thinks I'm a relationship expert. Uh, he's seen me, uh, and he sees Emily, and he looks back at me, and he thinks, yep, Nick's, Nick's uh, married up. He must know a thing or two about relationships. And so, so here we are. I'm going to be talking about wives and husbands. And, uh, and look, I'm aware that uh, most of my audience tonight, uh, that you don't fit into that category. You're not married, you're single or dating, and you're not a wife or a husband. And, and um, so you might be wondering, why, what, what's in this uh, for you tonight? And I just want to reiterate that what Peter's doing here is he's building on the principle of living such good lives that people would see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. So he's just working that out in the marriage context. So there's, there's wisdom to apply here. There's instructions to, to apply and, and think about what's the principle here. The other thing is as single people, how can we prepare ourselves to be a wife or to be a husband? And so there's, there's uh, valuable things uh, to, to gain from what Peter has to say uh, to wives and to husbands for all of us. So what we're going to do, we're going to have a look at what Peter has to say to wives, and then we're going to look at what, uh, what that, we're going to have a quick break and think about dating for a second, and then we're going to look at what Peter has to say to husbands, and then we're going to ask the question, what's driving this? What drives this behavior or how they live in, these, in, in the marriage? So uh, the words are going to come on the screen, but if you have your Bible, grab your Bible, open it up, 1 Peter chapter 3. It's on page 851 of my Bible, so hopefully that can help you. 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'll just read the first six verses addressing wives. Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they be won over without words uh, by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So I'm going to call out straight off the bat that that first verse, wives, submit to your, yourselves to your husbands, is controversial. It's controversial. And, and I'm going to call out straight away that in the past, too many people in the church have used this passage to justify doing horrible things and treating women and treating their wives um, absolutely inappropriately. And it's wrong. People have interpreted this passage wrong uh, too many times. Uh, so it's, I want to be clear what, this, this, what submitting to your husband does not mean. Wife submitting does not mean husbands dominate. Wife submitting does not mean husbands dominate. And this, this passage is clearly addressing wives. So this is not a verse for husbands to apply to their wives. This is a verse for wives to apply to their husbands. And I should also say, this is, a, this is not a verse for girlfriends to apply to their boyfriends or women to apply to men or, or vice versa. This is specific to wives and husbands. Uh, wives submitting to their husbands 
it does not mean that there's a power imbalance, that one is better than the other. It does not mean uh, that women are inferior in any way or the wife is inferior. In fact, um, what I'll come on to talk about is that is because they're equal, because uh, she has power, uh, she submits that, gives that up. And, and later on, Peter clearly says that the husband and the wife are co-heirs in grace, equal status. So his wife submitting in no way does that mean a, they're inferior. And in no way does wives submitting mean remaining in a relationship that's harmful. If, if that doesn't do anyone favor, remaining in that situation. Uh, so wives submitting does not mean remaining in that situation, in a harmful relationship. Uh, for a second, we'll think about what's the opposite of submission. The opposite of submission is uh, deceiving, is manipulating, is... Um, uh, resenting your husband is um, using guilt or, or manipulating in some way, clinging onto control and power and, and doing whatever you can to get your own way. Uh, but submitting is the opposite of that. Submitting is, is not using your, your power or whatever it means to get your way, but it's actually following your husband's lead. It's handing over that power and submitting to uh, to your husband following their lead. Now, this doesn't mean that wives don't get a say or they don't have responsibility or they, they don't have leadership in their family. Absolutely not. In fact, that's the, all that is necessary in order to help uh, the husband lead better. It's a team environment. Uh, but, uh, but effectively, what it comes down to is uh, the way that God has set up uh, citizens and governments and, uh, and the church and families is that when it comes to decision-making, uh, the husband gets the deciding vote and the wife follows their lead. Now, I think this is a great challenge for husbands, and we'll talk about you later. Uh, you're not going to get off here, but what a challenge of how are we going to lead in a way that's worthy of our wife's submission? And, uh, but that's what Peter calls us to, calls, sorry, calls wives to, to submit, to follow their husband's lead, even when they mess up, even when they make mistakes, even if they aren't Christian. And that's really interesting. Peter actually says that's the purpose. That's, that's where this is most powerful. Uh, he says in, in verse 2 uh, that, yeah, they'll see the purity and reverence of, your, of their lives and be one and glorify God. He's using the same words there. As, as he did in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, that they see your life, how you live, and glorify God. Uh, a, a few years ago, I heard the testimony of a guy, I, I think his name was Phil, uh, but he told of how uh, originally he and his wife weren't Christian, and then at some point his, his wife became Christian, starting to go to the church, going to church, and he wanted nothing to do with it. He said, that's fine if you go... Uh, that's just not for me. Uh, but Phil, in his testimony, he said the turning point was one night when he was coming home late from work. Uh, he'd promised he'd be home at a certain time, uh, but he, he was way late. He, was, he, he knew he was in trouble. He knew he was going to get it when he got home. And so as he drove into the drive, driveway, he, he you know, prepped himself, uh, ready to, to cop it. And he got out of the driveway, opened the door to his house, 
and his wife was there smiling, welcoming, welcomed him home. Hey, honey, how are you going? How was, how was your day? She, she had made dinner and it was ready on the table for him. And he thought, where is this coming from? What, what, who is this woman? Why is she acting so graciously to me when, when I am so obviously in the wrong here? And Phil, Phil said in his testimony that that was a pivotal point in his walk uh, to meeting Jesus and becoming a Christian. The way uh, wives, uh, and particularly wives of unbelieving husbands, the way they live uh, shows and can lead people to Christ. They live such good lives. The way they live uh, brings people to glorify God. And it's not a quick process. It's not a quick process. Uh, but it is a powerful process. And uh, the opportunity, the challenge, the, um, the call is there. Uh, Peter moves on in verse 3 to talk about beauty. And instead of our you know, your physical appearance, using that as a tool to get your way, actually adorning something else uh, instead of um, an outward appearance. He says, uh, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great value to God. Now, I did a bit of research uh, into um, uh, beauty routines of, of celebrities and, oh man, what a rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, I kind of regret going down there. Um, but um, uh, it's interesting. Apparently, if you want to have uh, really healthy hands, you dip your hands in olive oil for an hour a week. Um, uh, apparently, you can use avocado and cranberry juice. It's really healthy for your hair. Not at the same time. They're two separate uh, examples. Uh, but... People do that. Uh, there's one celebrity uh, that um, on top of uh, their, their workout regime, which was three workouts a day, five days a week, they do a thousand crunches every day to maintain uh, their body, their body image. Uh, one act- actress does uh, dances for five hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and another has a personal chef that comes with her everywhere, and whatever meal she has, uh, that chef will go into whoever's cooking it and make sure that all the right nutrients are added and, and, and everything matches up, so, so that she can maintain uh, her figure. The beauty industry is a $532 billion industry. There's a lot of money in beauty, in outward beauty, but it will perish. It will fade away. All the effort spent of all these uh, celebrities, it, that outward beauty will fade. But Peter uh, challenges women and, and, and men as well. I think this is an issue for guys now too. Challenges us to adorn ourselves, to put on a different kind of beauty, an imperishable beauty. Peter says, uh, tells uh, the wives to invest in an, in an unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And that's not to say that, uh, you know, they're, they're quiet and introverted, but he's talking about their character, their character, to be kind, caring, compassionate, generous, loving. That is the character that God values. And so, so I've got three things to say on this. The first is, is how much time are we investing on our outward appearance and how much time are we investing on our character? 
You know, how much time are we spending in the gym and compared to how much time we're spending in the Bible? How much time do we spend uh, putting on makeup and how much time do we spend in prayer? How much, how much money do we spend on clothes compared to how much money we, we give away to charity or, or, or to people who need it? There's a challenge there of, of what's most important and what's most important to God, the imperishable beauty. The other thing is for those uh, who are single and looking for a partner, what are you looking for? What's most important to you as, as you consider uh, who you might date and who you might marry? Is it the outward appearance? Well, Peter would say there's something more important than that. What is their character like? And, and related to that, uh, what are you trying to get people to notice with, how, with what you wear, uh, with how you act? What are you trying to get people to notice? Your outward appearance or your character? And finally, um, if you find yourself comparing yourself to, to uh, how other people look, or, or if you find yourself you're unhappy uh, with your body image, can I say to you that God values not what's on the outside, but what is in your heart? I feel like there's someone, there's probably lots of people who, who need to hear tonight that God considers you beautiful. God, God calls you beautiful because who he has made you to be and because what is in your heart, you are kind, you are loving, you are generous, you are compassionate, you are caring. And that is beautiful to God. That is beautiful. And so maybe, maybe some need to hear that, but that is what, what God values, is the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And Peter uh, shares an example from, from the Old Testament. He gives the example of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. He says, For this is the way holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You know, I was, I was reading the, the story of Abraham and, and trying to figure out what is Peter talking about here? What's he referring to? And actually took another Sarah uh, I was chatting to earlier this week uh, to help me figure it out. That actually, um, he's referring back to when Abraham was called. Uh, God kind of appeared to him pretty much out of nowhere, and called him to leave his, his land, his property, his possessions, his extended family, his, his, um, yeah, all his uh, security and safety, and leave that and to follow God into the wilderness to a land that God had promised. And so Abraham was called to follow God, and God, God promised him uh, a, to be a, that he would be a great nation, people, land, and blessing. And, um, and Sarah followed Sarah followed his lead. You know, Sarah had every right to say to Abraham, no, we can't possibly go. Like, I've got my security here. I've got my friends here. I've got all, all my possessions here. My family's here. You know, they were still, they hadn't had any children yet. And they were trying to have children. And I think it'd be completely fair for Sarah to say, I don't want to go into the desert to have a kid. Like, like let's stay here where it's safe. But, but Sarah laid aside uh, those rights of hers, that she laid her aside her, her need to have control or to have her way, and she submitted to Abraham and, and followed him 
into the wilderness, followed him as he followed the Lord. And so at no point did Sarah force Abraham to choose between her and God. At no point did, he force Abra- did she force Abraham to make that choice. And, and Peter says the key here is that we are her daughter. We, we, we walk in her way if we do what is right and not give way to fear. Not give way to fear. And in that, he highlights what is below the surface. What is behind uh, this issue of, of, of why do people defy and, and, and worry about how they look and, uh, and not submit? It's because they're afraid. They fear, uh, fear, you know, we might fear that we're not good enough. Or we, we fear that we're not loved. Or that we're, we'll be abandoned. Or we'd lose our, our security or control. And that's what leads to, to manipulating, to deceit, to defiance, to, to, to wearing masks, uh, you know, figuratively or, or literally. But Peter says, don't give in to fear, but hope in God. Hope in God. You know, just the, the verse just before this, Peter talks about how like sheep we were astray, but we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. We belong to God. And so as we realize we belong to God, fear strips away. And we, we're free to submit, free to give over that control, that power, and free to be who we are in our marriage. It's knowing where we belong that actually gives us the power to live out, to show where we belong. Now, this, um, all this just like raises the question. You know, there's a situation here where there's a, a, a Christian wife married to a non-Christian and the way that she lives, uh, you know, is a witness to her unbelieving husband. The questions raised uh, for dating, right, is it okay to date a non-Christian? As a Christian, is it okay to date a non-Christian? Now, it's not... Qu- not uh, it's not clear cut. I'm not going to give a definitive answer here, uh, but I do want to raise some concerns that the Bible raises on this. So it's, it's important to realize that uh, as two uh, different people, as a Christian and a non-Christian, you are on two different paths. You have two different purposes. You know, the purpose of the Christian is to live such good lives that people will see your good deeds and bring glory to God. And, and you know, initially... You might be enjoying each other's company and things going all right, but at some point as you keep going down those paths, you know, one of three things will happen. Either, you know, perhaps they will be won over and they will come to faith. And that's a great thing. I've seen that happen. That does happen. But more often than not, you go down the other path and, and you would fall away, be, be caught up in their world and, and drift away from the faith. Or you eventually split up because the difference is too much. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, he warns against this. He says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteous and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light and darkness have? And I, I want to uh, say to you if, if you're, you know, 
discerning whether or not you should date someone or if you're in uh, that kind of relationship now, a question you need to ask is, at, at some point, will I need to choose between them and God? At some point, will I, be, will I need to make that choice? And if, these, if the answer is yes, then you shouldn't marry them. You should not marry someone who will force you to make that choice. Now, if you find yourself in that kind of relationship, I'm not saying you need to break up, but I am saying you need to make some discerning decisions and, and have some important conversations. So that's a quick detour into dating. Let's jump back into um, 1 Peter, now in verse 7, and we'll address husbands. Husbands. So if you open back up uh, 1 Peter 3, 7, it's 7, it says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. All right, so Peter says, likewise, in the same way. He uses this, this same word uh, again when he talks about wives submitting to the husband. And he says, in the same way, husbands... Uh, uh, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now, I've I've got a bit of a, a bit of a gripe with um, the NIV just for this verse because um, I don't really like how they translate this passage. This 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 verse. They do a lot of great stuff, uh, but here I don't think they're uh, in their best. Uh, this is not their best work. No offense uh, to any of the NIV editors listening to this sermon. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, the, what the, the original language, what it literally says is um, like live with your wives with knowledge. And so it's a bit confusing. And that's why there a lot of different translations go a lot of different, well, somewhat different ways with this. But effectively what Peter's saying is know your wives. Know your wives. Live with your wives with knowledge. And, you know, some might, uh, you know, bring up that sexist saying that women are too hard to understand, like the female brain, an unsolvable mystery. And, and you might think, yeah, that, that does sound pretty challenging, uh, you know, to understand women. And no, that's not what Peter's saying. He's not saying understand women. He's saying understand your wife, one person. And so husbands, we've got to become students of our wives. That's what we got to do, become students of our wives. Uh, so study them, you know, learn and, and figure out what, what brings them joy and what brings them sadness, what brings them uh, frustration and what, brings, what, what gets them excited. You know, what are their hobbies? What are their aspirations? What are their goals? Like these are things we need to know. You know, maybe, you know, we're kind of still in lockdown mode uh, or social distancing. Maybe a good night, you know, date night in, uh, task for all the, all the husbands out there is have a date night and ask your wife a whole series of questions. Keep asking questions uh, until you learn something you never knew about your wife. We, could, we need to study our wives. And look, I need to grow in this as well. I need to grow in this as well. Um, uh, I didn't clear this with Emily, but uh, when actually, I should know her well enough that she wouldn't be, I know she'd be good with this. Um, so when I, when I look at a room and when Emily looks at a room, we, we see two different things. When Emily looks at a room, she sees, you know, toys scattered on the floor, a, a floor that needs vacuuming, um, you know, all these jobs that need doing. And when I look into a room, I just see a room, right? 
but I need to grow in this area. I need to grow. I need to see the room like Emily sees the room. I need to know my wife and see the room like her and, and go, you know what, that needs cleaning up and that needs vacuuming and that job needs done. Emily's probably at home going, yes, amen, preach it, Nick. Uh, I promise to improve here, Emily. <laughs> I, I do all right, I do all right. Um, you can ask her later. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who needs growing in that area, knowing our wives. Uh, Peter also says, uh, honor them. He says, uh, treat them with respect. Again, I think this could be translated better. The word used is to treasure, to value. It's the same word you would use as you're talking about your most treasured possession, to value your wife. Um, it's like every, you know, if we think about our own treasured possession, you know, how much, how much time and effort we spend investing in that, you know, to get the most potential out of it. And it's the same with our, with our wives. We need to be investing in them, uh, helping them grow, helping them grow closer to Jesus, helping them achieve their goals and their dreams, help rise to their potential, to flourish, to lead. That's what husbands need to be doing. And Peter says, um, as the weaker partner, or again, uh, as the weaker vessel. Now, he's not saying here that women are weaker or the wives are weaker, but he's saying, value them as if, like a weaker vessel. So he's not directly saying that they're weaker, but as if they're weaker. Like you might, you know, someone, if you're traveling with someone and, and they're injured or, or weaker, you would help them along the path. You would do whatever you can to protect them, to carry them, to grow them, to, to bring them with you. And it's the same attitude for husbands. You know, we should do everything in our power uh, to help and protect our wives. And so if we swing back to, to what I mentioned before, husbands getting the deciding vote, you know, the, it's the call, the instruction for wives are to follow their husband's leads. Uh, the husband's are to, are to vote, are to lead in the interest of their wife. And so we get this beautiful circular uh, relationship where the wife submits and trusts in her husband and the husband leads uh, to the benefit of the wife. And what a beautiful relationship that would be. And what a powerful witness that would be of people looking in and seeing uh, this marriage where the, the wife uh, submits and honors and follows her husband and the husband leads and cares and values his wife, how beautiful that would be to the world around us. And so the question uh, I want to come to at the end is what drives this? What drives uh, a God-glorifying marriage? And, and Peter says it right at the end of that verse. He says, we're co-heirs, that, that uh, wives are co-heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. So again, coming back to, we are equals. We are co-heirs. We are in the same status, same position, men and women, uh, wives and husbands. We are equals. You know, originally, uh, this passage was really controversial because it promoted equality. Right? That, that women were in a position where they submitted, that they weren't just overpowered anyway, that, that men would value them so highly, and here that they were co-heirs and, and equal members un, in God's kingdom. It was controversial in their, that original patriarchal culture uh, because it promoted equality so much. And yet somehow now, people read it and come to the opposite 
conclusion. We are co-heirs in grace, in the life that comes from the grace that God has shown us, grace that saves us, grace that brings us into God's family. By grace, we belong to God. And so how, how husbands treat their wives uh, and, and how we treat anyone really is closely linked with our relationship with Jesus. And that's why Peter says, you know, uh, husband, do this so that your prayers are not hindered. You know, there's this, um, there's this movie that was uh, produced a few years ago, came out, I think, in 2008, called Fireproof. Uh, thumbs up on Facebook if you've seen Fireproof. Anyone here seen it? Just one, two? No? Okay. Just one person? All right, great. I'm working with a great audience. Uh, so it's this really interesting movie, right? Um, it came out, and with, with questionable acting and, uh, like, uh, okay, storyline... It actually did really well. It was really successful. And it's because it had such a compelling story, such a compelling point, message. And in um, so what Fireproof is all about is this husband and wife who are at each other's throat. They're, they're drifting apart. They're at the edge of, of their marriage, about to get divorced. And the husband goes to his dad asking for his advice. And the dad says to him, why don't you do this? Love dare. And so for 40 days... Uh, each day, the husband would do an, another act of kindness, as whatever is, is, it, the dare says on that day, that he would do this to his wife and over time, uh, you know, grow and, and just keep loving her, just keep practically doing different things. And so halfway through the movie, there's this scene uh, where the husband is talking to his dad. Uh, he's, been, he's been doing this for 20 days or so, and, um, and he's not getting anything back from his wife. He's, you know, he's been washing dishes. He's been cleaning, uh, cleaning the house, getting flowers. Um, you know, the night before, he made her dinner, uh, but she didn't want anything of it. And he's complaining to his dad, and they're in this, this, this location uh, in the dad's backyard, and there's all these... Um, it's around a campfire and there's all these logs and then a cross in the background. And the son's complaining, the husband's complaining uh, to his dad saying, you know, how can I possibly keep going on with this? How can I love someone when, when I'm constantly being rejected? I've done so much. I keep giving her of myself. I keep uh, cleaning for her. I keep washing for her. I keep um, cooking for her. And yet she keeps on rejecting. I gave her flowers and she threw them in the bin. How could I possibly love someone who doesn't, who constantly rejects me? And as he's asking this question, the dad's walking around the fire pit until he stops and leans on the cross. And the son, recognizing what the dad's doing, he says, but that's not what, that's not what this is about. But the dad goes, isn't it? Isn't this what it's all about? And so as, as husbands and as wives, the key, how, what drives us to love one another is the love of Christ. In the verse before, uh, in the small passage before um, Peter addresses wives and husbands, um, uh, he, he shares the, the model that Christ gives us to apply uh, this living such good lives. And he says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they heard their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you you were all like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And so friends, how, how can we, how can husbands be good husbands? By clinging to Jesus. How can wives be good wives? By clinging to Jesus. We can only truly love one another in this way uh, as we encounter the love of Jesus. We can only truly love one another when we come to the cross and we see there uh, the Jesus who despite our fears and our failures and our brokenness, he, he bore that on the cross, paying the price that even though we kept on rejecting, he paid the price of that rejection so that we could be reunited with God. As we cling to Jesus, uh, we, we cling to the reality that we belong to God. We belong to Jesus. And as we do that, as we, we dive in and, and draw to the cross and to the reality that we are saved, we are forgiven, that even though we, we were so rebellious and unlovable, God loved us. As we realize that and reflect on that, that shows us, that enables that, that empowers us to love one another, to empowers husbands to love their wives. It empowers wives to love their husbands. And that love for one another shows that we belong to something else, that we belong somewhere else, that we belong to God. And so as we, as we go out and, and reflect on this, and for, for husbands and wives, we go and reflect on our relationship with our spouses. And those who aren't married, we reflect on, on how we are going to go out and live such good lives in all the different areas of our lives. What drives that is the reality that we belong to God, that we are His children and that He loves us. Let me pray and then we will continue worshiping. God, God and our Father in heaven, we, we praise you that even though we were defiant and even though we uh, lied and we, 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 we lie about ourselves, we lie to ourselves, we lie to each other, we've lied to you and we've rejected you so much. You, you love us. You care for us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us, to pay a price we could never pay. And God, in that we belong to you. And God, we pray for those of us in our community who are married, that we would honour and love one another. We pray you would empower wives to submit to their husbands, to follow their leads. And God, we pray you would empower the husbands to lead like Christ leads the church, even to the point of giving up his life for the church, that we would lead lives that honour and value and cherish our wives. 
And God, we pray for all those who, who are, are not yet married, but will be in the future. We pray that you be preparing them now with that attitude of love, with that attitude of dependence on you, and with the knowledge that they, are, they belong to you. And you would prepare them uh, for marriage, for a marriage that brings you glory. And God, in every aspect of our life, we pray that we would live such good lives that even though uh, others might accuse us of doing wrong, that, that uh, we would live such good lives that they see our good deeds and glorify you, glorify Jesus on the day of visitation. God, we pray you would do this work in us and that this work would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.